As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Whiskey Mistress, and it's her show, she knows about Hi, this is Debbie Showcare on Believe in the Whiskey Mistress on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Wow, you know, this story is going to be so long, I would almost call it a novelette. Uh, you know, rye whiskey has had quite a bumpy ride here in America. Um, it, it, in, we're going to go way back. We're going to go way back. We're going to go into, like, revolutionary times or post-revolutionary times. Let's talk 1789. There was a new government in the United States, in the new United States of America, And there were a whole big bunch of new Americans. And the farmers in Pennsylvania, they were using their surplus grain to make whiskey. It was, it was another stream of revenue for the farmers. Whiskey was a very popular drink. And, you know, it was even used as a medium of exchange. Cash, it was very often um, hard to come by on the Pennsylvania frontier. But whiskey just wasn't. And so some people were actually paid from time to time in whiskey. And so it was that two worlds collided, America and its whiskey-making citizens. So you see, the young government had borrowed $54 million to fund the Revolutionary War. And the Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, had, um, well, he'd, he'd raised... He'd already raised import duties as far as it was feasible to do. And he decided there had to be something else to do. And he decided that an excise tax on distilled spirits was going to help fund the debt. Now, President Washington, George Washington, was concerned about it. And he went to Pennsylvania to speak to the people there about the possibility of a whiskey tax. But because local officials, not the farmers, were in favor of it, And most likely those were the people he was talking to. Washington went back to encourage Congress to pass the bill. And they did. And that became a big problem. And so it was that the whiskey tax came to be in 1791. And the protests from whiskey producers began immediately. It, the problem was, you see, it was completely unevenly levied. 
larger producers paid less per gallon the more they produced, while the smaller distillers paid around 50% more. And worse, the tax collectors expected payment of those taxes in cash. As you can imagine, protests against the whiskey tax, they just, they erupted all through Pennsylvania. And by 1793, officials all along the Pennsylvania frontier were asking for help from the fledgling government. Help in collecting the taxes. The whiskey tax was, it, it was just, an, it was an instant failure. The whiskey citizens not only refused to pay it, but they were also, uh, let's call it, air quotes, intimidating the tax collectors sent to collect it. Well, that included threats of violence against the officers and probably their families as well. Well, aside from being a very unpopular tax law, it was also logistically difficult for the distillers. See, the law required the registration of every still and failure to pay the tax. Well, that required them appearing in a federal court. And the problem was, at that time, the nearest federal courthouse was in Philadelphia, and that was about 300 miles away from the Pennsylvania frontier near Pittsburgh. I know, oh sure. Today, 300 miles is a manageable affair. We can drive that far in our comfortable air-conditioned automobile with adjustable padded seats, satellite radio, Bluetooth cell phone connections, power steering, windshield wipers, and headlights for nighttime driving. But in, you know, say... 1790, your choice was a bumpy horse, a bumpy donkey, or a bumpy, noisy, dusty wagon, none of which came with satellite radio or headlights. 300 miles was a very serious, long undertaking. But, you know, at the time, the whiskey tax may have just been the straw that broke the frontier distillers' backs. Pennsylvania was the western frontier of America at the time, and the citizens that were there, they were already happy about a couple of things, several things really. Perhaps most importantly, well, they didn't think that the government was deeply enough invested in protecting them from the ongoing war with Native Americans. It was called the Northwest Indian War. Look, I'm just reporting. I don't want any notes about that being um, not, not politically correct or anything. This I'm reporting history. Um, secondary, second, secondly, the, the Western Frontier Americans were not able to use the Mississippi River for commercial use because Spain still owned Louisiana at the time. So not only did the frontier communities believe that the U.S. government was ignoring their safety and their economic interest, but also they were, quotes, air quotes, unfairly taxing their whiskey. And there was sufficient enough protest that the tax was lowered by one penny. Yeah. The frontiersmen, they, they still weren't having it. They tarred and feathered one tax collector, whipped tarred and feather another. It was, it was, it was really kind of bad. In the first incident, the, the tax officer, a Mr. Johnson, he was riding his horse, at, and at some point he was surrounded by 11 men who were masquerading as women. They stripped him, they tarred and feathered him, they took his horse and left him in the forest. An officer sent to arrest the offenders was given the same treatment and then tied to a tree. And he was found like five hours later, but he immediately left his post. He was scared. I don't blame him. It got worse. It did. Blood was eventually shed. And 
I'll spare you the ugliest details. But in 1794, the group of 700 resistors who had taken to open rebellion and marching to drums, they were warned that George Washington was about to send a militia, an actual proper militia to strike him down. Now remember, this is about whiskey. Attacks on whiskey, but whiskey. Well, the mob of 700, uh, well, it grew to about 7,000, and they showed up at Braddock's Field, east of Pittsburgh. Not wanting any trouble, the city greeted them. This is, a, this is so funny. The city greeted them happily with a gift of, well, some barrels of whiskey. And the crowd drank them. They marched relatively peaceful through town after that. Hamilton was concerned that the unrest on the western frontier, which had grown by this time unresty enough to spawn talk of six counties actually declaring independence from the newly established Union, well, Hamilton wanted to send troops to Pennsylvania, but President George Washington, who would just a few years later himself be one of the largest distillers in America, Washington sent negotiators instead. And when that peace envoy failed miserably, Washington conferred with a Supreme Court justice and then assumed emergency power. George Washington assembled a militia of about 12,000 men. They were, they were from nearby states and the eastern side of Pennsylvania. And Washington went ahead to meet with the whiskey tax rebels. Now, recognizing what it was actually coming to, those rebels, now we're talking about the Whiskey Rebellion here, in case you haven't, haven't gleaned that yet. These, these Whiskey Rebels were recognizing what was actually coming, and they were still angry, but they backed down. Washington marched his militia right the way into western Pennsylvania, and only a couple of men were arrested. And when they were found guilty of treason, Washington eventually pardoned them. See, the outright violence of the Whiskey Rebellion might have ended, but the whiskey tax, it, well, it still mostly wasn't paid. Most frontier distilleries still refused to pay. And the whiskey tax law was finally repealed after 1802 because it was, it was largely impossible to collect. And for the next 10 years, the U.S. government's sole source of revenue was from import tariffs. And that's the Whiskey Rebellion. It, it actually was really, really important. It was important because it was a testing of our new government, of our new government's authority, and one that I think President Washington handled adroitly. Now, what I don't think I've mentioned yet is that Pennsylvania was the heart of rye whiskey production. Yeah. Rye whiskey was the predominant whiskey in the United States during the time of the Whiskey Rebellion. The history of rye whiskey goes boom, fall, rise. By 1808, Pennsylvania's farmers, they were producing and selling like, like a half a barrel of rye whiskey for every single citizen in the country. That's men, women, and children. But why rye? Well, while the Scotch and Irish whiskeys are mostly made from barley, the Scotch and Irish immigrants in the farmland of the Pennsylvania frontier, they, well, they found out that, that barley didn't really do very well in the new climate here. So they turned to growing rye, which did. And so they made rye whiskey. So remember, remember a minute ago I mentioned that George Washington was going to become a very successful distiller? Well, in, by 1799, which happened to be the year of his passing, 
His Mount Vernon distillery was making almost 11,000 gallons of rye whiskey each year. And for that time, that was huge. And so rye whiskey's popularity continued buoyed even further by the invention of timeless cocktail recipes, like the old fashioned, the Sazerac and the Manhattan. In fact, the available statistics show that in the 1800s, people were drinking two and a half times more distilled spirits than they were in the 1970s. That's a lot. During the Civil War, whiskey was used to soothe the war weary as well as for its medicinal value. And in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln again imposed an excise task on Wix, Wix, <laughs> whiskey to, uh, to pay for the war efforts. Yeah, whiskey's played a big part in American history. And look, I'm just hitting the high points. There, there was a scandal involving President Grant in the 1870s. It was known as the Whiskey Ring. You can imagine tax collectors only charged a portion of the real taxes due from a given whiskey distiller in exchange for a cash remuneration. They were, they were just crooked tax collectors who later claimed they were planning to use what was basically something between a cash bribe and a, well, not exactly extortion, but some sort of shadiness. Um, well, they claimed that they were planning on using those funds to help reelect President Grant. It was a big stink, and, and the way it all played out was tremendously complicated and good enough game of fancy played politics that I would bet almost none of you have ever even heard about it. And it was about whiskey. Oh, but oh my goodness. Let's, let's go all the way to 1920. 1920. Rye whiskey was fantastically popular, and the bottling of Pennsylvania rye greatly outpaced other whiskeys of the time. And then we had the Volstead Act. Prohibition. For 13 years, the government lost tax revenue, the grain farmers lost revenue and market viability, and unemployment in industries related to the production, bottling, sales, and marketing of alcohol, well, it, was, it rose alarmingly. So, 1933, the repeal of Prohibition. But what happened during Prohibition, many people still drank. But the whiskey they were able to get was very often made by unscrupulous or inexperienced distillers who really just, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They wouldn't make the proper cuts during distillation, so you would have the entire distillate bottled instead of just the good heart. Um, so so, so the, the crap whiskey that the folks were getting, well, a lot of them really ended up thinking that that's just what whiskey was. So then move ahead to post-prohibition. Not only did, did rye whiskey by this point have a bad reputation, but also the good straight whiskey was hard to come by because so few legit distillers had been able to continue production. And the problem of inventory was addressed by cutting or, or blending the straight whiskey with newer whiskeys or with grain neutral spirits. So it, it wasn't the whiskey we enjoy now, mostly. It was much lighter. Rye whiskey and American whiskey in general, it just it wasn't able to gain a foothold again until the 1990s. And it was just a little trickle then. And thanks to some good publications, media, and some fabulous television and movie shows, whiskey began to surge in popularity again. And 
While bourbon seemed to get into the race first, rye whiskey has been right on its tails, and rye has come back not so much with a vengeance, but with a roar. Rye whiskey sales have increased over 500% since 2009. Yeah, the big distillers saw that happen and they began making their own rye expressions. Add the American craft whiskey movement and adventurous, talented, creative barkeeps to the mix and, well, well, go to your local Happy Juice store now and you'll find shelves, whole shelves dedicated to that, that old whiskey that's brand new again and growing more popular each year. Rye Whiskey. It's whiskey time. You know, I'm really excited to be reviewing this um, here with you to do it. Well, not so much reviewing it because I reviewed this one before, which is why I'm excited about it. Uh, the Dad's Hat Rye. Um, Dad's Hat is from Pennsylvania. And there's uh, a couple of gentlemen up there, um, Herman Mahalich and his partner, uh, John Cooper, are making that up there. And it's, it's a wonderful product. I actually had the privilege of reviewing this several years ago. And um, they, they were kind enough to send me a bottle so that I could do a live tasting here with you. It is a lovely bottle. Again, I know I talk about bottles a lot. It's, um, it's kind of a, um, a, it's not a square bottle, but it has a square feel to it. It has a beautiful green label, which you're going to find that a lot of the rye whiskeys out there have. It's 95 proof. That's, um, that's not a stiffy, but it's, uh, it's a little bit stronger than, than most of your distilled spirits. Um, let's see. It says it's 80% rye grain, 20% malted barley, no corn, and it's matured in 53-gallon charred white oak barrels. It says on the label it's pre-prohibition style, and I can tell you, uh, this is an amazing rye. It's won numerous awards that I don't even need to go into because it, it speaks for itself, and I, I highly recommend you visit their website, dadshatrye.com. And the reason it's called Dad's Hat, you see, Herman Mahalich, he grew up, he was living in, uh, his family lived in an apartment above the family business. It was, a, it was a tavern, it was a bar. And it was those happy memories that, that later they, they drew him. He was uh, in his adult, he became an adult. Uh, of course he became an adult. He, as an adult, he became a chemical engineer, but he was drawn back to the industry when he heard that, uh, that rye whiskey was gonna make a comeback. And he knew that his dad and his grandfather both had enjoyed rye whiskey. And um, they say that they're using a recipe from the 1800s. Um, he and his partner, John Cooper, they began operations in 2011. And um, this is really, really an amazing an amazing rye. It's it's delicious, first of all. Uh, the reason it's called Dad's Hat, that's a really lovely, beautiful story. It seems that Herman's dad um, his father was from that wonderful generation that um, where the men never left home without putting on their hat. You know, those, those fancy dress hats, the fedoras? Uh, my grandfather was of that generation, and he always went out. When we were going out, he would put his little fedora. He had some Stetsons. He had, oh, he had cowboy boots. I'm looking at them right now. Um, I am the happy owner of them now. Um, and... So Herman remembered his dad always taking time to choose his hat and put his hat on 
before he left. And Herman still wears those hats today, and he will tell you they are still a perfect fit. And he's making really good whiskey, so I wanted to uh, review this with you here. Um, again, it's a beautiful bottle. The back of the bottle is embossed with their company uh, slogan, the perfect fit. Here goes that sound we all know and love. There we go. And uh, it's, it's a pretty color. Um, I know I, it's funny because I always tell you the color doesn't matter, and then I go on to describe the color. So <laughs> I'm such a girl. Uh, it's kind of a... It's a, it's a dark straw color, a little darker than, you know, maybe it's like apple juice color. It's really nice. Um, and I'm going to go ahead. The first thing I'm going to do, do you remember? Do you remember that first step besides looking at it? We're going to nose it. I'm going to stick my nose right down in the glass. Oh, yeah. That is really, really nice. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm getting marshmallow. And like really sweet marshmallow. Do you remember circus peanuts? Google them if you don't know what they are. They're those big orange, orange squishy marshmallow things that look like giant peanuts and they're called circus peanuts. I used to love them. In fact, my grandfather used to get them for me. It smells like circus peanuts. And uh, caramel and lemon, definitely lemon. And there's some really low notes of cinnamon. Oh, I really like this. I'm excited. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna break it with about a half a teaspoon of water. And if you remember the purpose of doing that, I know I've told you before. I'll keep telling you. The purpose of that is to break through the surface tensions of the glycols that mask the aromas. So now, when I go to nose this again, and I'm using my uh, my my fancy uh, nosing glass that I uh, was a gift to me some years ago. Um, when I go to nose it again, oh, it brings it brought it brought those uh, those citrus notes right to the front. the The marshmallows right there, but the citrus notes have sort of come right to the front, and now it's it's something more like um, candied orange. Definitely candied orange. Boy, that's good. So I'm going to take a sip, and while I take a sip, I want you to talk amongst yourselves for four or five seconds because. Again, the most important point, the most important hint, the most important advice I can give you about tasting any whiskey, particularly a good one, but really any whiskey, is to hold it in your mouth four or five seconds before you swallow it. So here we go. Talk amongst yourselves. Hmm. Ooh, that's nice. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was sort of involuntary. Um, now, this has got a, a sort of a beefy mouthfeel. It's it's 95 proof, but it's not nearly as spicy as I expected. And the mouthfeel's all right, just right at the front of the tongue. Really, that's the only place, right at the front of the tongue. Wow, that's gentle in the mouth to be, um, to be a 95 proof rye. And let's see, the finish. The finish is... is um, We've got uh, we've got some spices. We've got um, pepper and cinnamon. There's um, there's a little bit of wood and and that's there's something in here right toward the end. Um, this there's this hmm um, 
sorry for all the mouth noises. I'm, I'm enjoying the finish. <laughs> um, there's this sense of vanilla, van, vanilla, um, wow, toward right at, at the end of the finish. There's, it's definitely vanilla and it's, it's a long, it's a long finish and it has this really, this, uh, this creaminess to it. Uh, it's a creamy finish. I don't know how in the world a whiskey can have a creamy finish, but it does. And I'm going to have another sip. So hold on. Hmm. Wow. That is just about, that's almost as good as it gets with a rye. Now I will tell you, again, I want to tell you that I know if you've ever read my reviews, and there's a whole bunch of them out there, if you've ever read my reviews, you're going to notice that I almost never give an A rating. And I gave this puppy an A-. minus. And, um... It's it's really I mean the, the the finish it's 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 creamy in the finish it's a this amazingly long finish I mean it's been what a couple of minutes since I took that first sip I know I took another one I cheated but it's amazingly long and pleasant it's almost sensual yes I just called the whiskey sensual I tell you this is a rye for whiskey lovers and for lovers of whiskey. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure if you go to your local Happy Juice store that you'll be able to find Dad's Hat Rye uh, right there on the shelf. Um, it runs about $60 a bottle and I think that's a totally, totally reasonable price for it. $60 is just about the outside edge of a good whiskey for me. If, if it costs more than that, it, it better be something exceptionally special. Um, Dad's Hat Rye. And please uh, take a look at their website. They've got some really, really interesting products available, including one of their ryes that's finished in a sweet vermouth casks. That's, that's so interesting. And that is American Craft Distilling. Um, and if you do, if you contact them, if you go see them, if you purchase from them, please tell them the whiskey mistress sent you. Drink good whiskey, my friends. We're all going to get through this. Um, happy whatever today is. <laughs> and slancha. You know, I want to take a moment here and talk about um, the current events right now. As they are affecting all of us all over the planet. Um, and I know that we're all a little scared and we're all facing some really challenging times ahead and given what we are being told I want to ask you please please if you can at all possibly stay home be still and let the wave pass we can do this we can get through this but every one of us has got to cooperate Stay home and let the wave pass. Um, I'm going to be here at home <laughs> with what I will tell you is not enough whiskey um, for the foreseeable future. And uh, I, like many, many of you, am out of a job at the moment, except for, you know, my, my charming... Uh, a charming gig here where I get to talk to all of you every week. Uh, that's just my privilege. Um, 
but my regular uh, money job is is no longer available to me as it stands and I know that there's a lot of you in that position as well and I just want you to know it's gonna be okay and we're gonna come out the other side but for right now stay home be still and let the wave pass God bless all of you God bless America um, and you just all be safe and stay well and I will talk to you again next week I'll come up with something and uh, for those of you who who listen regularly I thank you so much and by the way if you're enjoying this show now I'm now I'm babbling again if you're enjoying this show please 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 rate the show five stars on iTunes subscribe Um, I know the show has gone longer this week but hey you don't really probably have much drive time at the moment right (laughs) Um, yeah I wish you all very well I wish you all health and happiness and um, that we never have to do this ever, ever again. So, I'll see you next week. This is the Whiskey Mistress. Out. Thanks for listening. Join me next week on Believe in the Whiskey Mistress right here on the Believe Podcast Network. The Whiskey Mistress And it's a show As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.